My name is Scott Hemingway, if you're visiting with us today, and I am the interim pastor here, and it's great to, uh, to be with you. Uh, now, I have the task of doing three-ish things this morning, and I am really surprised that you're all here. I mean, I thought maybe you would go, wait, there's sunshine. We actually have sunshine. I don't know how I can be in church today, but you, you're here, so thanks for being here. Appreciate that. Uh, so here are three-ish things that I want to uh, bring our attention to. They're not going to be up on the screen. So this is a bit of our announcement time. And uh, the first one is on June 12th is going to be our, our uh, Grad Sunday, Youth Sunday. And I think we have something like 22 grads that we want to celebrate. And I'm excited about that. I'm also excited that Isaac Burge is going to be preaching with me. So he's one of the youth, he's one of the grads, and he's going to be here. And then also we'll have a full accompaniment of the worship time in music is going to be done by the youth. So really looking forward to that time coming up for us on June 12th. And then the Sunday before that, just to let you know, um, I'm also going to be doing a message with Ben Williams, and Ben and Danica are going to talk about a mission opportunity they have to go on for a year, and so we're going to have them up here, and then Ben and I are going to do a message together. So I'm, I'm looking forward to being able to share the pulpit with some younger people uh, coming up uh, in the coming days. Secondly, for you ladies, this is for you ladies that are free on Tuesdays, there's going to be a book club. Um, we've done this before. And uh, Carlina Wymore does this, and there's going to be a book club that's going to be happening on Tuesday in the living room. That's a building that's out over here, and it's going to be, uh, they're going to be doing the book Gentle and Lowly is the name of the book, and it is done by Dane Ortland, and uh, the cost of it is $12. So if you're interested in being part of that book club and you want more information, I have uh, Carlina's number here, her phone number, and I can pass that on to you if you would like to have more information. And then last, the last thing I'd like to do is talk about a farewell potluck that is going to happen on June 3rd at 6 p.m. And it is for the um, Al-Mohamed, did I say that right? Uh, family. There are Syrian families that, as a church, many of you were involved in bringing here. They are moving to Calgary, and so we're going to have a farewell potluck, or a group of people in the church are, are arranging that for them, and that's going to be here at the church on, on uh, June 3rd. We'll have more information out on, on our Friday emails for you to, uh, to, to find out what all those details are, but that's what's happening there and uh, you can talk to Juliet. She's one of the organizers of it as well. So those are my three-ish things today that I wanted to share with you. Hopefully that kind of keeps you up to date. If you want more information, you can go onto our website down to the bottom of events. It'll tell you what's happening, or you can uh, sign up for our Friday emails. We put all this information in there as well. Something that uh, happens here in the church uh, that I'm excited about, and that is membership. And so today we have two couples that have come forward for membership. I'm going to invite them to come up, uh, and we, uh, and then we'll 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 introduce them. Um, so just hang on to that for me. And so we've got Travis and Kim. Yeah, we'll split you. Okay. All right. Good. Perfect. Uh, so we got uh, Travis and Kim, and we have uh, Josh and Tazia. Uh, Potma Weems. Okay, good. Whew. 
Um, I wasn't really scheduled to do this today. Uh, Alana was, but uh, Alana's not feeling well, so I've got her notes here. I'll see how well I can, I can do. <laughs> she can do this way better than I can. First of all, membership. Uh, I'll read what she wrote here. I thought it was really good. Church membership is an opportunity to grasp hold of each other in responsibility and love by identifying ourselves with a particular church. We let the pastors, that's good, and others in the church, the local church, know that we intend to be committed in attendance, giving, prayer, and service. A lot of people say, well, why membership? Like, you can't find that in the Bible, right? Yep, you're right. Um, Nothing in the Bible says that you need to become a member of a church. Uh, When we ask Christ into our life, we become members of the church. Uh, And so I am a member of that, as there are those in China that are a member of the same church. Fantastic. But in the local church, it does give us an opportunity to say that we are being committed to attending, to giving, to prayer, and to service. And by allowing that, by doing that, we're allowing ourselves to say we are going to be responsible to the church, and the church is responsible to us in our service and what we do. And uh, we assure that the church that our commitment to Christ in serving with them, and we call for their commitment to serve and encourage us as well. So that's membership, and we are happy that both of you are, uh, as couples, are willing to step into being members. Now, if you, uh, we have their testimonies, and it's up online. If you want to go later, and uh, you can go to the baptism, tes- uh, baptism membership part, and you can read their testimonies. But what we've asked of them today is to share uh, their first. We, uh, one of our core values as a church is that we hold to the authority of the Word of God. And, and so we'd like each of them just to share their verse and what it means to them. And so we're going to start off with Travis here, and he's going to share his verse, which uh, talks about the authority of God's Word. It works out perfectly. Uh, so the verse I chose was 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. I, I'm sure it's a verse that you will recognize. It says, All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man or woman of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. And I love this verse. Uh, Scripture needs to be the foundation on which we stand as Christians. It's the the lens with which we view the world, uh, teaching. Uh, it just it needs to be that core. Uh, the The psalmist talks about God's word being a light uh, to his feet and to his path. And I've seen that in my life. And and this is where we go for truth. I think in in our world, it's. It's easy to get conflicting messages, and, and truth, I think, now more than most times in my life has, has been just so important, and yeah, Jesus says, I am truth, God's word is truth, and that's what I need to, to guide my path. Thank you. Kim. Hello. Um, I'm just going to bring up my verse as well. Um, so I found it really tricky to pick one, I'm sure as you guys um, kind of grow and live life with Christ, there are different verses for kind of different seasons where you really resonate with what you find in God's, God's word. Um, but kind of where I am right now and, and where I find myself, um, this verse in um, Colossians, it's First uh, Colossians, or Colossians verse 1, uh, chapter 1, verses 9. Uh, and 10. I think 
why I chose this is it's, it's really the kind of desire of my heart. Um, and maybe I'll explain that a little bit more. So it says that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. So I think the reason why I choose that is I really, I want to live my life pleasing to God. I want to, to grow and learn how to do that well um, and to do that faithfully, even if I don't have change or dynamic things that come into my life and amazing things happen every day of the week. People often ask you, how are you doing? And I sometimes find myself going, well, nothing's really changed, but I'm trying to live my life well. And what does it look like to do that? And not just by my own standards, but how I can do that, pleasing to, to God, because to me that's who really matters in the end. So, yeah. Thank you very much, Kim. Are you ready? I'm ready. All right, Tazia. Nice and nervous. I know. Um, I went a little bit of a different direction because Alana's question was like, slash, what are you learning in your Fantastic. personal quiet time with the Lord? And I wrote it all down, and I'm just going to read it because I'm nervous. Uh, so yeah, Alana asked us to share what we've been learning in our quiet time with the Lord lately. Personally, my quiet time has looked a little different these days as I battle grief and loss. I listen to a lot of worship music when I drive, and there are a few songs that have just played on repeat through this challenging season. One of those songs is called Highlands, Song of Ascent. If you're not familiar with it, the chorus goes like this. I will praise you on the mountain, and I will praise you when the mountain's in my way. You're the summit where my feet are, so I will praise you in the valleys all the same. No less God within the shadows, no less faithful when the night leads me astray. You're the heaven where my heart is, in the highlands and the heartache all the same. I think about this song and these lyrics often and what God is teaching me through it and how it applies to me in this season right now. And a few scripture references come to mind. First, Job 1:21b, which says, the Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Job lost a lot in his life and was still able to praise the Lord in and through the trials, knowing that his strength was from God. Another verse is Psalm 34, 18, which says, The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. I am the brokenhearted and the crushed in spirit. The, fast, the past few months have been anything but easy and have really shaken me and changed me. But one thing I must remember is that Jesus is Lord of my life, and as hard as it is, bad things happen in life, and learning to praise him in spite of these events is a lesson I'm nowhere near done learning, but I'm working through every day. All right, I have uh, Psalm 46, and it's, uh, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth should change, and though the mountains slip into the heart of the sea, though the waters roar and foam, though the mountains quake at its swelling. Uh, there is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy dwelling place of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She will not be moved. God will help her. When morning, 
dawns, the nations made an uproar, the kingdoms tottered, he raised his voice, the earth melted. The Lord of hosts is with us, the God of Jacob is our stronghold. Uh, come, come behold the works of the Lord, who's, who has wrought desolation in the earth. He makes war cease in the earth and to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow and cuts the spear in two. He burns the chariots with fire. Cease striving and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our stronghold. And uh, strive means to make a great effort to achieve or obtain something, which isn't always bad. But there are many things in life that even if we work hard, we still can't achieve ourselves. But knowing God means to acknowledge his power and ability to save his people from whatever danger we are in. I need this reminder because it's easy to forget the way that God has worked. We can see this in the book of Joshua after the Israelites conquered Jericho, which was obviously God's power. Some of them became greedy and took things they shouldn't have. Then they went into their next battle, not consulting God, but relying on their own strength, and they were defeated. So when we feel like things are going well, it's good to remind ourselves to keep trusting in God's ability and not our own. Thank you very much. I feel like, I don't know, do we need a message now? Uh, (laughs) That was so good. I appreciate it. Can I ask you all to stand with me as I pray uh, for these couples? And it's really by us standing, it's saying that um, as they are making a commitment to us as a church, we are making a commitment to them. So will you join with me as we pray? Lord, I thank you that Travis and Kim, that uh, Tazia and Josh have made this commitment to step into membership. Lord, not because there's a biblical verse that says this is what you should do, But it is clear, Lord, that you call us to be a family of God and to make that commitment to each other, that we will step into that, we will journey with one another. Through the times of laughter as well, through the sad times, as it's been expressed here today. So, Lord, I thank you for each of these couples and their commitment. As we journey together, Lord, may you cause us to be a deeper and greater walk. May we find, as a church, a rich blessing as we journey together in commitment and in service. And above all else, Lord, not for each other, but for you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. Thank you very much, both of you. And uh, yeah. If you want to turn in your Bibles, if you've got them there, uh, one way or another, uh, to First John, uh, and we're going to be in chapter 1 this morning. The theme overall for John is this, is where I want us to go in this, as we started last week, and it is that every true believer will demonstrate God's light and love. You, you see time and time again that, that he talks about light and he talks about love in 1 John. And the writing of 1 John is really unique because a lot of times, well, even what I do today, I, I will take us and I will try to sequentially bring us through these verses. 
But what John does is he does more of an amplification or a circular thought, and he keeps coming back again and again to some themes, and he will circle around. And so it feels like, have we really any, gone anywhere in John? It feels like he just keeps repeating the same thing again and again, and he does. And it's a, it's a style, it's a way of teaching or preaching, and, and John is using that in, in what he is doing here. And so we have these major themes. We have life, truth, and love. Those are major themes throughout this book. And in it, he will come and he'll talk about light and darkness. He'll talk about hate and love. He'll talk about truth and lies. And, and that's, what we, that's what we experience with the book, the book of 1 John. And so it will feel repetitive, but rep- being, something being repeated is a good thing, is it not? I mean, I, I memorize scripture so that I can repeat it. And when I repeat it, I remember it, and it has something that affects me in some way. So we will walk through 1 John. So today, we're going to be in verse 5 through to verse 2 of 1 John. And we're going to look about God is light. And what a beautiful picture that is. So, uh, read with me uh, these words here in 1 John, starting in verse 5 of chapter 1. This is the message we have heard from him and declare to you God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. If we claim we have fellowship with him and yet walk in darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth. But... If we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. If we claim that we, to be without sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive, and will forgive our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar, and his word is not in us. Dear children, I write to you so that you will not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with our Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is atoning, he is the atoning sacrifice for our sins. And not only for ours, but also for the whole world. What a beautiful passage that is in God's word. About eight years ago, I... <clears throat> was invited by my son to do some spelunking. And so we, uh, we, we, I had to drive up to Prince George. I was living in the Okanagan, drove my seven and a half hours up to Prince George. And I got there and uh, stayed the night. And the next morning, we woke up early in the morning. I think it was like, I don't even think I slept. It was like three in the morning we woke up and we drove up to a, a cave system called the Fang Cave System. And... Um, and then we hiked up and we got up in there. And, and the, the first descent into the cave is about a 30-foot uh, descent into the cave. And you get into this, the, uh, the, the, the uh, Grand Cathedral. And there you have to make your way down the corkscrew. And uh, this thing does. It kind of wanders around like this. And you drop a rope down in and it drops about 125 feet. And then you, you, you drop down in there. And, um, and it, was, it was actually quite, quite fascinating. It was, it, was, it, was, it was fun, most part. 
Um, we didn't have to squeeze too much at the beginning, but when we, once we got down there, he wanted, uh, he wanted to show me, he'd been there before, so he wanted to show me the stream, and, and we walked down the stream, and we walked down to where the, the stream in the ground disappeared underground, and then would pop up out the other side. And we had, before we went and dropped down, we'd seen where this, this water, this, this, uh, this, this river pops out. And he tells me that when it is, the water is low, people actually will, will go in that way to the cave. And I'm thinking, that's crazy, and that's nuts. So we're, as we're coming back, and we're, we're down there, he, um, he, he all of a sudden, or one of them exclaims, hey, look! And they point to this hole, and I'm telling you, the thing seemed like about that big. We haven't been here before. And he shot in there. And uh, he starts wiggling in, and his buddy, Robert, he's with us, he shoots in too, and I'm standing there, and I say, I'll wait out here. <laughs> and, and they took off. And I could hear their voices, and they're hooting, and they're hollering, and, and, uh, and I thought, hey, what, what does dark look like? And so I clicked off my light, and it was dark, extremely, I mean, You've been there. If anybody's ever been in a cave before and you turn off a light and you put your hand in front of your face, you think you can see it, but you can't. That is dark. And I just stood there. And then I remember him telling me, Dad, make sure that you bring an extra lamp because you don't want to get stuck in here in the dark because you will be stuck. And it's true. And I, all of a sudden, I'm thankful that I have a backup lantern, just because I'm thinking, what if these guys get stuck in that hole they just went into, and somehow I've got to get out and, get, get, and rescue them? Well, it wasn't long before, all of a sudden, I started hearing voices, and then I saw a sliver of light, and then boom, they popped out, and uh, the, the cavern that I was standing in, it just, it, this brilliant light going from darkness to this brilliant light that was there. And you see the contrast of what John is talking about here. And so I want to come in verse 5 and look at verse 5 because he's, he says, this is the message we have heard from him and declare to you, God is light and in him there is no darkness. Pause on that for a moment. God is light. pure light. There is no darkness. Not like even here, we have shadows of darkness, don't we? He is pure light. So brilliant that if we looked at it, we'd be blinded by it. There is no darkness. Darkness. He's saying here that you, I, this message we have heard, where did they have heard it? Well, if you, if you look in, in his writings, other writings of John, and you see in John 3, he talks about the light. Uh, John 1, 1, he talks about the light. And then John 3, he talks about the light. And now John 8, 12, he says, Jesus himself says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So we come back. God is light. 
whoever follows Jesus will not walk in darkness. You and I have the light in us. The brilliant light in us. I love that. Sometimes in our world, we have a lot of things that will cloud or create so much noise that we struggle to actually pause dwell, think, engage with truth. So, God is light. That light is in you. What's the ramifications of that? What does that look like in your life? What does it look like to engage in the light? For Moses... He sees Jesus in the burning, or he sees God in the burning bush, and God calls him to something. He's going, whoa, 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 not me. And he tries to back up, really, from the light. Isaiah, we, we're, we we're memorizing Isaiah 6, 8, and we're going to look just in a moment what comes before that. But Isaiah has an encounter with the holiness, which is the light of God. And what does he say? He says, I am going to be undone here, like Am I going to even survive this? You have, you have Peter who, when he comes in contact with Jesus, remember in the boat, he comes in contact with Jesus, and what does he say? He says, Jesus, I'm a sinner. Get out of here. He can't be part of that. Something happens when we engage with the light. John, John here, we read in John, when, when, G, when John encounters Jesus after he has risen from the dead, what does John do? He falls, to his, he falls to the ground and he lays there as if he is dead. That's the light. Let's look at Isaiah. If you've got a Bible, you can hold your finger someplace or you can flip over with your phone. Isaiah chapter 6, because it's worthy of us to engage in what does it look like for us to see the light. This is Isaiah's encounter with the light. Verse 1, in the year the king Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on a, upon a throne high and lifted up and the train of his robe filled the temple, verse 2, and above him stood seraphims, each with six wings. With two, they covered their faces, the holiness of God. With two, they covered their feet, and with two, they flew, and they called to one another, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is filled with its glory. And the foundations of the threshold shook with the voice of him who called. And the house was filled with smoke. Now this is where he says, And I said, Woe is me, for I am lost. I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell amidst the people of unclean lips. My eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Woe is me. I wonder, I wonder if we're struggling to see the light, the transforming light. 
Darkness cannot hide. My sins cannot hide. We can't pretend in, 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 in the face of God. We can't play games with God because he sees it all. He knows it all. And in our life, if we sit with him, which we can, and we say, take your light and shine it in my life, he will reveal the darkness that is there. Let's look at another verse here. In verse 6, he says, if we claim to have fellowship with him and yet we walk in darkness, we lie and we don't live out the truth. What is the truth? What are we lying about? It is that sin no longer has mastery over me in Romans 6.14. And at the end of that, it says, you, you live under the freedom of God's grace. Or Romans 6.18, you have been set free from sin. That's what the light does. It comes in, it reveals, and we are set free from the sin and darkness. I struggle with sin. I know. I shouldn't, right? I'm the pastor. I shouldn't struggle with sin. Come on. I have it all together, right? I mean, I never get upset at my wife. I, I always do everything my possible to make sure that her life is what it needs to be according to my responsibility. I never get upset at anybody. When I drive, I drive perfectly. I always obey the speed limit. I always obey the traffic laws, right? I mean, I'm the pastor. Isn't that what you expect from me? Amen? <laughs> okay, you know that it's not true. I want to. And I struggle. So this is not about, as we will go on and see, this is not about being perfect. In verse, in verse 8, it says, we claim, if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. Not one of you here is perfect. I didn't mean to shatter your world, but it's true. Not one of us is perfect, and we know that. And, and I think when it says, don't deceive ourselves here, don't, let us not pretend that everything is okay. Isn't it hard to do when you come to church? Don't you find that? I mean, we come here and we dress up nicely. I got these nice red shoes. You know, Ken had the preaching pants. I got the preaching shoes. I mean, we dress up nicely and we come in and everything is fine and everything is good, but it isn't always fine. Some of you came in here today and you had an argument with your spouse. Heaven forbid, can you believe that? Or you had an argument with your parents. Or you were tempted to swear at the person who was driving so stinking slow today. Let us not deceive ourselves. We're not perfect. And in verse 10, if we claim that we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar, and his word is not in us. 
We need Jesus. That's what it's saying. We need Jesus. Every day we need Jesus. Every day we need the light. Every day we should sit and say to the Lord, let there be light in me. In 2003, Pepsi came out with a commercial for Pepsi Max. It was for the Super Bowl. It's one of my favorite commercials, Pepsi commercials they came out with. And I want to show it to you today because I could tell you about it and you could Google it, but I want to show it to you today. And so I think we have the technology to pull this off. Um, Anna, you want to go for it? Yep. Here's the Pepsi Max commercial. I'm good. Be honest here. Ah, I'm good. My bad. I'm good. I'm good. Ready? Go! Men can take anything. I'm good. Except the taste of Diet Cola. Until now. Pepsi Max, the first Diet Cola for men. <laughs> I'm good. I just love that. I'm good. But I think, I don't think I know. I do that to you. And probably worse than anything, I'll do that with God. I'm good. I'm good. And then I'm not doing what I've been asked to do, which is to say that I'm a sinner. I'm not going to be perfect. I'm not going to have it all together. But I'm not going to mock God either. And so this is the lovely part because we come to, we come to verse 9. And here he says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. It's a beautiful verse. It's not saying I am good. You know, why do I struggle with the people around me? In verse 7, it talks here that, that, that if, you, if, you're not, if you don't live in sin, if you don't live in sin, it says you'll have fellowship with one another. And I ask myself sometimes, why am I struggling with somebody? And I have to look back to me. If I'm struggling to having fellowship with another believer, I have to first look to me. What's in me that needs to be corrected, that needs to be changed? It's easy for me to look at that person and say, well, they've got this problem, and they've got that problem, and they've got that problem, and if they could only get their act together over here, we could have fellowship. See, I need to come to a place of saying, God, I will sit in the light. I will slow down, and I will say, God, let there be light. See, when I do that, when I'm willing to confess, I can't linger in the shadows anymore. I can't walk in the darkness because the light doesn't allow me to. And that's a good thing. That's a beautiful thing. Because then I come back and I am set free from the sin and darkness Sin no longer has mastery over me. 
There's a verse in Ephesians 4.27. It says, don't let Satan have a stronghold in your life. And in it, it's talking about Christian living. I like to look at my life as this, as this, this pole, this metal pole. And then I want to put grease on this metal pole. And that's how I want to live my life. Because I don't want Satan to have a stronghold. He wants to maybe try to have some mastery over me, some control over me. And if I'm like a greasy flagpole, he can't climb up. He just slips down. He tries to grab hold of something in my life, and it's like, no, God's got that. I've, I've identified that. I let the light shine on it. My anger, my frustration, my words, what I do, what I say, where I go. When, when I sit in the light, and I say, let there be light, Satan doesn't have a stronghold. It's not always that easy. And I keep saying again and again that there are times in our life that we need help. We need people around us. We need people who have some expertise. So there's good counselors. We need mentors in our life. I'm not meant to walk this life alone. But I do know that when I confess my sins... He is faithful and just to forgive me and purify me from all unrighteousness. And sin doesn't have mastery over me. Well, <clears throat> let's finish up here. And he says, my dear children, I write to you this so that you will not sin. But anybody does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. It's a beautiful verse. And he finishes off and he says, he is the atoning sacrifice for our sins. And not only for our sins, but also for the sins of the world. We have this advocate. We don't need to sit in guilt and shame. And then it's a sacrificing, atoning for our sins, but not only for our sins, but the sins of the world. I think sometimes we can allow sin to define us. We can say, well, I'm, I'm this and I'm not good here or I do this and I do that and we allow sin to define us. But should that define us or should Jesus define us? I think Jesus should define us and not our sin. And I love the part in which he says at the end, it's not just for us, but it's for the whole world. Every race, every culture, at any time. So I want to ask the, uh, the group to come back up here. And um, we're going we're gonna to sing another song here. And as we do... Um, we're going to have a time for communion. But I want first to have you sit on this question. What area of my life has darkness been lingering? Or ask the Lord, 
where am I lingering in the shadows of sin? Or where have I stepped into darkness? I could give you examples, but I don't think I need to give any examples. I think the Holy Spirit does a great job. See, if we're willing to, to, to stop to rest in the Lord, and we're, at, we're willing to say, Lord, let there be light shining in me. His light will show the darkness. And we confess that. And we ask God, what must I do to walk in the light? You may need to bring somebody else into your life to help you. You may need to go to somebody and ask forgiveness. The other day, I stepped out of line. It wasn't good. I phoned up my friend, and I confessed. Yep, pastor messed up. We prayed, we talked, we prayed. And then he said to me, I said, okay, thank you very much, Ian. Ian goes, whoa, wait a minute. You do want me to call you back to see how you're doing, right? Yes, I do. We need one another. So this question as we sing this song, contemplate that. Think about it. And if the Lord is leading you to come and partake in communion, then do so. Opportunity for you just to spend time, you and God, in communion together this morning.